I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. With the Winter Olympic Games upon us, it was fitting to bring Olympic silver medalist Lauren Gibbs back on the show. If you haven't heard Lauren's incredible journey from the corporate world to the Olympic podium in just three years while in her 30s, then go back to episode six of The Pursuit of Gold and listen to her hilarious and wild journey into the world of bobsled. It's called You're Never Too Old to Dream Big with Olympic medalist Lauren Gibbs. Well, today, Lauren shares the rest of her story with us, how the pandemic began to derail training and sponsorships, the mindset shift she went through, and the value of always being ready to pivot. As always, Lauren is open, candid, and vulnerable as she discusses not being chosen for the Olympic team a second time, the struggle of keeping a certain weight to compete, and how she became friends with her competitors. Talking to Lauren is always a treat, and she drops some amazing advice about learning how to tell your story to attract sponsors and support, as well as different apps to help athletes on different stages of their journey. She's also giving us a rundown of athletes to keep an eye out for when we watch the Winter Games, which begins with opening ceremony on Friday, February 4th. Sorry, I think we got that wrong during our interview. So that's Friday, February 4th is the opening ceremony to this year's Winter Games. But before we jump into the episode, if you're enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review. But even more importantly, share this podcast with your friends, post it on social media, talk about it in real life to your teammates. This is what helps us grow and keeps the podcast going strong. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. All right, Lauren Gibbs, I am so excited to welcome you back onto the Pursuit of Gold. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I always love and cherish our conversations. So I'm excited to be here. I, I don't like when we have to hang up. That's always hard. I'm like, I could talk I to you forever. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so we had you on the podcast. You were like episode six. And for those who want to go back and listen to that first, which I highly recommend, it was You're Never Too Old to Dream Big with Olympic medalist Lauren Gibbs. So give us kind of a quick snippet of your background, um, but then they can go back to listen to all the juicy details and stories and the, the hilarious stories that you told. Yeah. I've been an athlete all my life. You know, when I graduated from college, I had played volleyball. And at 5'10", there weren't a lot of opportunities for me. So I kind of, for sport at least. So I went right into the, you know, corporate world and excelled at that, but just never felt fulfilled. And um, I moved to Denver from Los Angeles and was at a CrossFit gym. A friend of mine was like, hey, you should try bobsled. And I was like, LOL. Sure. <laughs> this um, LA girl, I, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was 30 and I was like, people don't actually boss. That's not a thing. Um, but you know, I, I'd made a promise to myself to fully vet every opportunity that came to me. So I was like, you know, check it out. And at a bare minimum, it'll be this like funny story I tell when I'm old. And yeah, and eight years later, I just <laughs> retired, made eight national teams, competed in 44 World Cups, won 17 World Cup medals two world championship medals, one of which was gold in 2020 and an Olympic medal in, in 2018. So I guess the joke's on me. 
Also, <laughs> man, no. Okay. Well, I love this, this quote you put, um, when you weren't named to the last world cup, you said, I won't be racing, but then you listed those stats. You said eight years, eight national teams, 44 world cup starts, five world championship teams, one Olympic games, 17 world cup medals, one world championship bronze, one world championship gold, one Olympic silver. All I can say is I did the damn thing. Right. Walk us through kind of, well, I mean, I guess let's back up a little bit because you, the last time we talked was kind of right at the beginning of the whole pandemic, world changing, lockdown, insanity. But, you know, you were still two years out from, you know, competing at the Olympics again and stuff. So what has this kind of pandemic and shift in last couple of years been like for you? Obviously, it's been tough for everybody. I think for me, it's been tough to see people struggle. I've been very fortunate, but I enjoy enjoying life with other people. And so to see people around you struggling and people that you don't know struggling is always hard. And so, you know, my heart goes out to anybody that's been adversely affected by the pandemic. And that's a lot of people. But, you know, I had worked really hard at that point to get my name and my quote unquote, Lauren Gibbs brand um, to a place where I could book in-person opportunities and, you know, brokerage my own sponsorship deals. And then when the pandemic hit, everything went away. And it it was a a quick lesson to me on how quickly life can change and how you have to prepare for a pivot. You always have to be ready for a pivot. You know, I, I expected my pivot to be now, which I am pivoting now, but I, you know, in two years after the games, I never expected, you know, everything to be pulled from underneath us. We literally, I think, uh, Kaylee and I may be the only Team USA world champions of 2020 because you know, we got home and then two weeks later, everything changed. And so for me, that was a big wake-up call. I was like, I need to be more resilient and prepared than that. And so I threw myself into as many virtual opportunities I could find. At that point, our good friend Kara Winger texted me about parity and so fortunately, I started working with an amazing company that's working to close the pay gap for professional you know, sports sponsorship because that gap is quite wide. I started doing a lot of virtual speaking engagements. Um, I took a growth marketing course. I highly recommend Grow Class. And I just started working on myself because you know, as an athlete, you're so focused on how well you do within your sport. But like as we all know sports not going to be forever. And they were talking about, well, if the pandemic gets really bad, will the Olympics happen? And, you know, with Tokyo being postponed, that was really a big wake up call for me. Like I, no matter what, in two years, I need to know what I meant to do and how I'm going to support myself. And so I kind of threw myself into that back in, I guess, back into the working world. So was that hard to, I mean, cause like, we, you know, we've talked about balance before and then right before we hopped on the call, you were kind of saying it was this weird pull back and forth because you're all in like, and, I, and I'm very much like that too. It's like, yeah. I'm either not doing anything or I am all in. <laughs> There's like no in between for me. So was that a really hard thing to start growing your, like you said, your brand and kind of your own business to support yourself no matter what, but then also still being committed and trying to be this resilient athlete? Like, what did that look like? Sometimes I balanced it really well and sometimes I failed miserably. <laughs> just, you know, I, I realized very quickly that I needed to get my workouts in first, in first thing in the morning, because by the end of the day, after you've like been sitting around and working, you're kind of tired and don't have a lot of ton of, ton of motivation. 
I realized that I had to schedule my workouts and put it on my work calendar so that like I could pause all notifications on my phone and not have to, you know, be answering things in the middle of my warm up. But I think the hardest part was that I had found work that I really enjoyed. And if you remember my original story as as to why I left the corporate world, the job I was doing at the time didn't fulfill me. And so now that I was having to spend time doing things that were worth fulfilling, it was kind of like, do I still need this sport? Because like the whole mission was to like, you know, figure out what I was meant to do and get this amazing opportunity to to potentially go to the Olympics. Because that was never really, the, the Olympics was never my end goal when I started bobsled, which I think sounds probably crazy to most people. But that's why you should go back and listen to the first podcast. <laughs> exactly. Episode six. <laughs> yeah. Episode six. And, and I, lo- I love how you pointed out being intentional too, because I, I find the same thing. And with, I've got four kids uh, plus trying to train and, and like you said, creating my brand and I've got other things going on too. It's, it is really easy to just completely drop the ball on something if it's not kind of scheduled in and we're not really thinking about it and prioritizing things. Super, super easy to do that. And it sounds so stupid to be like, something I'm supposed to do daily, I have to schedule in, but like write it on the calendar, like just make sure even if you feel stupid doing it, like just do it. Yep. Because you'll you'll get I don't know about everybody listening, but I have diagnosed ADD. So something will pull me and I'll get really excited about it. And then I'll be like, oh, crap, I didn't work out today. (laughs) (laughs) I know the whole day goes by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you won world championships in 2020 right before the shutdown. Did you guys get a full 2021 season or how did that play out? Yeah. So the 2021 season was weird. We were actually supposed to have world championships in Lake Placid, which would have been huge to have world championships at home. I don't even remember the last time world championships was in North America. And so because COVID had gotten so bad in North America, all the North American races were canceled. And so the IBSF, which is our international governing body, decided that the 2021 season wouldn't count for anything. Like, it, you know, if you didn't do the races, it was fine. If you did, it wasn't going to necessarily move you forward. And so uh, we did half of the season instead of the full season. So uh, we did the part after the holidays, just because it was a long time for people to be in Europe in the middle of a pandemic. And so, yeah, the, the, the 2021 season was weird. I probably should have taken that season off. Mentally, I wasn't there. Physically, I definitely wasn't there. You know, we were still trying to figure out what was going on with my hip and my back. It's since been diagnosed that I have a confirmed hip labral tear on the right. I think I also have a labral tear on the left. And so, yeah, just negotiating, being in pain every day, being 37, having other things going on in my life. I had the goal to buy a house because I was like, I can't, you know, finish sport and then not have anywhere to live. And so there's just a lot, but that's, that's the world I live in. I, I'm one of those people who I'm at my best when I'm busy. And even if that means scheduling in like when my downtime is so that I do have some balance, I am really, I really do enjoy trying to do it all, all the time. Yeah. Big go, real go-getter. I love it. Yeah. Well, I I remember laughing because when you guys started um, doing a lot of your races and you guys were going to Europe because I was like, wow, they're actually leaving the country. Like, that's great. But then the amount of Q-tips you guys had stuck up your nose and like the amount of photographs and stories you guys all had about getting tested. I was like, oh, man, that's got to be. I mean, you guys seem like you were tested every single day. 
twice a week, every week. Oh, it seemed like a lot more than that by the pictures. <laughs> I know it felt like a lot more. It was every Monday and Thursday. Oh man. And you guys were like working out. I mean, and, and is this normal when you're, when you're doing, um, like a world cup season? Cause you guys like had a whole weight set out in like a parking garage somewhere or something. And like, look like you guys were freezing, but you're working out out there. Like, what is that? Cause you, how many weeks are you on the road like that? And what does that kind of travel lifestyle look like? Cause that's diving's not really like that. We may have a couple meets back to back, but it's not, you know, it's different. <laughs> you know, I should have stayed on the summer side of things. It's basically <laughs> what, I mean, the village is warmer. Everything's warmer. People are excited. No, yeah. So that's actually that that piece of it was normal. We always travel with our weights. Once we get to Europe, we stay in Europe, and then we have these massive vans that we load our sleds into, and then we drive from stop to stop. So, thank you to bobsled. I learned how to drive a manual. It's actually quite fun, you know. Being from LA, you don't drive a stick shift because you're always in traffic. But yeah, it's it's empowering to like really be driving. So that actually was normal. There are some places, there are some facilities that we usually have access to, like running tracks and things. So we didn't have that. That was a little tough. But uh, we can be in Europe anywhere from three weeks in a row to like six to eight weeks in a row. Man. Yeah, it can get rough for sure. Well, and and I'd like to talk because we've kind of talked about um, just having to balance, uh, you know, working and training and preparing and being ready to pivot and all these things. And I heard a quote and, and I don't know if it's um, completely accurate, but it certainly feels accurate. But it's like uh, somewhere around 75 percent of elite athletes have to have a job on top of full time training. And, and you've you've said this before, too, like most Olympians don't make that much money, if any at all. You know, like we're, we're oftentimes we're paying to do our sports. So I guess, how do you, because you've gotten a couple sponsors, you, you have a way about yourself and you're very charismatic and I feel like you can talk to anyone and I'm very, I'm great one-on-one like this, but I am not good at just putting myself out there. And I feel like it just seems really inauthentic if I do that. Like what kind of suggestions or what insight do you have for people who maybe are out of school and trying to continue their athletic career, but are struggling to do that, like paying for it and everything? Yeah, I think that you have to figure out what your story is because everybody has a story that people can learn and grow from. And that's really it. Like I just, I feel so fortunate. I've done so many, been, had so many incredible opportunities and so much support. I feel so lucky. Like I work really hard, but it's no secret. I'm a genetic freak. You know, like most people can't get off of a couch at 30 and decide they want to boss and then go to the Olympics. And so <laughs> because I have some gifts that I've, you know, really worked hard on to turn into opportunities. My thing is, is I love to share the B-roll side. And I think people really just want to know about real people and they want to know about your struggles. They want to know about your successes. They want to know about the weird things that you know, you do in your sport that people would never think of. And so I'd say share as much as yourself as feels comfortable. But also remember, once you share it, you can't take it back. So really, you know, really show up as yourself. Like, don't try and be this person you think everybody wants to see or hear from, because no matter who you are, there's enough people in this world that your story will click with the people that it needs to click with. And then once you've outlined your story, tell everybody. You know, have your 30 second, I don't want to call it elevator pitch, but just like 30 second cliff notes of like who you are, what you're doing and why and, you know, your goals and aspirations. Because what I've really found is that people really do like to see people succeed. 
They really do. And people love to be a part, to be able to say they're part of someone else's success. So I think it's hard for athletes to do like GoFundMes and like do fundraisers and ask for money. But, you know, as someone who's on the other side, I can't wait to help athletes, you know, that need help in their journey because people helped me. So I think just realize that there are more people out there that want to help you than you think. And you got to share your story and figure out, you know, what you're all about. I love that. That's such great, great advice, great wisdom. Oh, and I have to ask, one of the quotes that that we had from the last episode you were in, you said Lauren Gibson in high school and college was kind of lazy. Yeah, she <laughs> what, was. <laughs> what do you think changed that for you? Like what was, was it just finding this thing you were passionate about and that kind of woke you up? Or what do you think really pivoted you in that way? I think it's a, a number of things. I think it's, maturity, right? Like I was 30 when I made this switch. And so it was like, okay, this feels like my third or fourth chance to get get this piece right. I think it's finally being tired of feeling like I was better on paper than I was in person. You look at my resume, like Brown grad, academic all Ivy, second team all Ivy, co-captain, Pepperdine executive MBA, climbing the corporate ladder. I sound like a freaking genius. And I was like, you are not that person. (laughs) You're just not that smart. You're smart, but you're not that smart. And so I just wanted to, I I felt like it was my opportunity to see if I really was the person that people thought I was. Turns out I am. And second, it was, I was one of those people who was fairly good at a lot of things. And so when things got difficult, I would just quit. And I've realized that quitting feels worse than failing. And I was always so more afraid of failure than I was excited for success that I would quit before I'd get there. But I've learned that that's more dissatisfying because you don't really learn anything from just quitting. Well, then you always wonder too, right? Like, well, if I stuck it out, maybe I could have. Yeah. There's a difference between quitting and knowing when it's time to move on. Like those, we need to really, you know, because there are times where you're just like, okay, this doesn't serve me. It's not a safe environment. It's not great for my mental state. Like all that stuff needs to be, you know, flushed out. But I would just like things would get difficult. I'd be like, ah, I'm out. And so I was like, I just want to know, like, what if I throw my all into something? Like, what if I take four years out of my life, really like three and a half, and just really pour myself into it, win, lose, or draw just to see. So it was kind of like my own little social experiment. I just wanted to see what I was made of. And you did. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, like three years, yeah, three and a half years later, you're standing on the Olympic podium. That's kind of insane. Okay. So bobsled is so different in how you guys pick teams than most other sports. I mean, you guys are like selections on steroids compared to everything yeah. else. So how does that process work? And how do you not completely lose your mind? Because it, it just seems like so much is out of your control. And so much just depends on this random committee like what what does that look like um for you guys yeah so the pilots qualify via points and then the brakemen are named to the team based on a a selection committee decision and there are i think eight or nine points of criteria that the selection committee goes through and they've adjusted them slightly so i can't remember all of them i think in the past like in the first quad that was really hard for me because i really like to try and control how things are going to turn out. And I'm noticing the, the less I control, the better my better I am physically, mentally, and emotionally. So 
this go around, I was like, you know, I really want to make this team. If it doesn't happen, I've had an incredible career. And I've, more importantly, I've grown as a person. I've met some amazing people. Like, I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for bobsled and your awesome kids. (laughs) They're so cute. (laughs) So I think it's different once you've lived the dream. And I, I was really at a point where there was, what else could I achieve that would change anything? Nothing. Like going to another games, cool. Two-time Olympian. Winning gold, I think Olympic champion sounds awesome. It's the highest of the high, right? But it's like, it's not going to change anything for me. I'm not going to be a different person. I'm a different person because of the journey, not because of the end result. You know, and even my dad's a clinical psychologist and he was like, do you really need to go to another Olympics? I was like, no, I don't need to, but it's fun. (laughs) He's like, but what is it going to do for you? And I was like, it'd be fun. He's like, but what does that do for you? And, you know, I really appreciate that. And I think any parent listening, that conversation with my dad was such a gift. He wasn't telling me that the Olympics weren't worth my time or weren't worthless. Basically, what he was telling me is that the Olympics don't define Lauren Gibbs. And it can be so easy for an athlete to feel defined by their successes or losses in a sport. That's unhealthy. Yeah. You know, that's not good. You should do it because you love it. And, you know, the work that you put into it because you love, you know, the little intricacies of getting better in your sport should be the draw, not necessarily the end goal. You just drop that mic and walk away. That was awesome. (laughs) I know that was so good. But for real, like if people get anything from that, like if you're a a parent of a child who excels in a sport and you think this, my kid could go to the Olympics, or if you're a kid that is thinking, I want to go to the Olympics. I really hope that you keep, keep that at your core is like, you are not your sport. Your sport is something that you do. Yes. And I, it is so so common for athletes to start measuring their worth and their value in a time or their place on the podium or their scholarship or whatever it is. But we have value as people just because we are the people we are. And what you do is just kind of like icing on the cake. It just, and it, like you said, that journey is what continues to create and mold your character. And I have seen people, I've seen people do everything that you want to do in the sport and be suicidal and miserable afterward. And it's not, the success doesn't do it. If you're not enough, if you're not fulfilled inside before you get to that point, just getting the medal, just getting the time, just reaching the goal isn't going to change you from the inside. It's just a thing. You can almost argue it's, it's worse, right? Because if you're, if you're depending on this result to change how you feel about life or yourself, whether you get the results or not, it's not going to do it. Because after the Olympics, I was like, I took three months off and I was just in a weird space. And like now thinking back on it, like I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning and just be crying. Now thinking back on it, because I'd committed to four more years, like the thought of having to start from the beginning and work that hard again, knowing I was going to be older was just overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, there's well there's definitely that like Olympic blues that happens too cuz you you work for this like 4 years, 10 years, whatever it is you've been working and putting all your energy into that one moment and then when it's over, good or bad finish, there's just this adrenaline letdown and it's just it just dumps you, you know, and, and it doesn't some people get hit right away, some people it's a couple months later and it like the the weight of it just hits. So, yeah, for anybody coming off a big and, it, and that can happen I feel like at the national level and 
just, you know, doing other things too. Anything big that you've been going after, if you kind of go through this little slump of like emotions after like, that's normal, that's okay. (laughs) Don't like worry too much about it. You got to kind of let your body and your mind process all of that stuff. Yeah. But and I and I but I don't think enough people know about that. So it does really freak them out after because they don't know what's wrong with them. I did all this stuff. I put in all this time. I hit all these goals. Like what's wrong with me now? And that's that's it's okay. Like we go through these these cycles, and it's just that the harder and the more intense the goal is, I think the harder it hits you on the backside too. Yep. Yeah, and I think kind of like what you're saying. Like I think it hit me worse after I won than the times that I didn't. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. So I feel like it was kind of like your sign off post and you um, posted this great picture of you um, bobsledding. I think you were running with your with your bobsled and you said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. It's been an eye opening wild ride of journey being part of Team USA. I'm headed home, blown away by all that we have accomplished the last eight years. I can't wait to cheer my teammates on at the Beijing Olympics. GG out. I love that. I love that you didn't just go. I, I mean, you you saw the whole picture, but it's also like this wasn't just good for me. Like I'm still here to cheer you on. I'm still here by your side. Like you guys got really tight. I mean, you introduced me to Kaylee Humphreys and to Alana Meyer Taylor. Well, I kind of knew her a little bit before, but you really reconnected me with all of them. And I love hearing their stories. And you guys all sound like this really tight group. Um, what is that? I, that has got to be something extra special about that sport. The amount of time we spend with each other is, a, I think, a blessing and a curse <laughs> because it's just a lot. And it's it's uh, the fiercest group of humans I've ever been around. And it's great because it helps you elevate to the next level. It's tricky because you always feel like you're on high alert. You're like always in a fight or flight response. And so, you know, as brakemen, we're teammates, but we're also competing against each other. Pilots are teammates, but they're also competing against each other for equipment, for USA 1, USA 2, for points, for gold. So it's just, it's this really like strange, like hunger games, but like, <laughs> I don't know, like sports sorority thing you could ever think great, of. A great comparison. Yeah. And, and like, it's a very like small world too. Like you're just around the, the biggest, strongest, fastest humans you've ever met. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. So I guess, is it easier for you to feel camaraderie with the pilots because you're more competing against the brakemen? Or is that hard too? Because you go back and forth with the different pilots too. I think my first go around, it was hard to to really feel connected with any brakemen. Like every brakeman was like basically my competition. I think this go around, I've really... And, and, and seeing seeing your teammates as your competition can be helpful, but it can also be really toxic. Because at the end of the day, you're really competing against yourself. And I think once I realized that, things got a lot easier. We really worked as a team to be a team. It's different on the men's team from the women's team. More of the men's team goes to the Olympics, right? There's four-man, there's two-man. Like, most people go. If you're on the national team, you get to go to the Olympics. On the women's side, it's usually two of six people get to go. And you only have eight races to prove that you're the person that should go. And so it feels like every time you train or you do anything, like your head's on a chopping block. And so that can be a weird, tense environment. But I think we all as a group have really worked to not necessarily all be friends, but be respectful or together, you know, try not to keep score, not to, you know, any of that stuff. And I think 
this by far was the season I enjoyed the most because I decided that I was going to enjoy it. I was like, you're not going to end this sport and look back on all the amazing things you've accomplished, but think, man, I was miserable most of the time on tour. Yeah, <laughs> so. it was sad. And I and I feel like with girls, it can be harder too, just because girls tend to be cattier. You know, I mean, girls hold grudges. Girls are, girls can be more feisty, you know, and so. And I thought about that and like as to why that is. And I think there's a, a few things. One, there's so many few opportunities for women, right? The opportunity is so much smaller. Like, we have two sleds going for men and women. On the men's side, that equates to eight athletes competing. On the women's side, that equates to four athletes competing. So there's that. And then also, you know, we just ne- negotiate things differently in the world. And like, you know, society is, has different pressures on women and girls and athletes. And so we're not just dealing with like whether or not we're a great athlete. We're also dealing with like, well, what does your body look like? How much do you weigh? How are you seen in the in the public eye? And so I think there's a lot of that as well, which is unfortunate. And I hope changes for women and little girls. For sure. And I think it starts with like women, like your group of, of athletes making kind of this commitment to, hey, we're going to respect each other. And I remember having a teammate that came down and it was really intimidating. She came down to train with my coach and I because we were the best in the country and she wanted to be the best. But like, it was really intimidating because she wanted all his time and all his focus and was kind of after me in a way. But yet, uh, you know, I had to be like, okay, but she's my teammate. And if I can't support her and she's not going to support me, what's the point? You know, and so we actually became really, really good friends. She was uh, my matron of honor at my wedding. Um, and And I I think making that conscious choice to rise above that, you're still going to have those feelings from time to time, but knowing that that's not how you feel about each other and you're making a commitment to not be that way. I think, you know, like anything else, being intentional is really important, but kind of tagging on like what you were talking about with the weight and how our body looks and those things you, you've also, I loved also that you like, totally threw your scale away when you left your last World Cup. That was awesome. And you know, It's still like, in Germany. I love it. Letting go of things that no longer serve me and you just chuck that thing. Like you said you were weighing yourself like 10 times a day. Like what did, did they put that pressure on you? Did you have to weigh in or was that just you taking on all that pressure? So we have a weight max in bobsled. And so for the longest time, our weight max was with the sled was 340 kilos. Is that just like a, it's supposed to be more aerodynamic at a certain weight or what's the... No. So like it's, it's to keep, keep, try and keep the sport as fair as possible. Obviously it's a gravity sport. So something, a heavy object going downhill is always going to go faster. So because we recruit a lot of athletes from track and field, sprinters tend to be a little bit smaller. So if you had a heavier crew, then you had a bit of an advantage because you could have your your sled at minimum weight and still be closer to the top weight. And so you're getting the best of both worlds, right? You're pushing a lighter object, but you're also carrying as much weight as is allowed down the hill. And so I think the intention was to try and make the sport more welcoming to smaller women. But, you know, the people making the decisions on how much weight to take out didn't take a lot of things, in, in my opinion, into consideration. One, like the safety of having less weight in a bobsled, right? It, we're, we're, it's all about physics and like how you stick on a corner. And if there's no weight in the back of the sled, it just makes the sled really skiddy and harder to control. And so it was that. So we were seeing more crashes. You know, we were seeing 
you know, bigger women either not being able to compete anymore or basically having to starve themselves to do so. And I was in that boat. And then because of the change of the sled weight, we were seeing small countries have to spend money on sleds that they didn't have because their sleds were now too heavy to make weight with their crews. And so it definitely didn't have the effect that we were hoping it would have or that the IBSF was hoping it would have because I never hoped. And they actually had planned to drop the weight further. And we just were like, absolutely not. Not a single person in this sport is going to be able to continue to compete. But, you know, instead of trying to rectify it and meet, meet us in the middle, they just kept it. And so I basically had to starve myself for the past seven years, which was not fun. Oh, geez. Like how, how do you get through that? I mean, were you talking to somebody about that? Were you working with people or were you just, did you feel really isolated and on your own? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm super fortunate to have had a number of different avenues of support and I wasn't actually starving myself. I ate, but it, it felt like that at some times. It just like having to worry about what you eat all the time is, is exhausting. And so I've worked with a number of, of companies. My first quad, I worked with working against gravity, which was super helpful. It's a macro tracking company. We have dietitians at the USOPC that would help me as well. And just making sure that I had options. Cause that's the tough part when you're traveling in Europe, you just don't always have options that you have when you're home. And so like, you know, if you ask for, I don't know if you're, if you want to try and be vegan in Europe, that's not going to work because you're just going to get boiled potatoes. Um, <laughs> and, and cause like, it's not like we're in city centers, right? We're kind of like in the outskirts on the countryside. So it's not like, yeah. yay. It's not, it's not like we have like, every product available that would be like in Munich or, you know, Frankfurt. And so that was tough. This go around, I worked, uh, Kelsey Keel is a former CrossFitter, now CrossFitter again, bobsledded for a couple of years. And she works uh, with Black Iron Nutrition. So she helped me with a lot of my nutritional stuff. That was really helpful because she was doing this sport. So she understood like the timing of when I needed to be at weights. So that was really cool. But like at the end of the day, I just got tired of worrying about what a scale said because like my body is fire. It's fire at 185. It's fire at 205. It's definitely fire at 170. <laughs> um, so like I just got tired of not being angry with my body, but not being like satisfied with my weight because like who cares what the scale says? Who cares? It doesn't matter. As long as you're healthy and happy and functional that should be what matters. And it should be focusing on being fast. It should be focusing on being strong. And I had to do all that and worry about what the scale said. So that part of the sport definitely got a little, you know, frustrating for me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's amazing because it's very emotional. And it's it's that's draining. And we, we forget how much we put our emotions and our feelings into something. It It's exhausting. And you're wasting all that energy on that when like you said you could be focusing on strength and speed and all these other things but it takes away and i mean it, eating disorders and things are, are prevalent in my sport not because we have to make a weight but because you have to wear a swimsuit and you're judged so it's like a totally different beast but at the same time it's very similar like i totally understand that so I, and i think it's good for people to be real and and honest about those struggles and um you know how federations can can handle it and and realize what the issues are too right yeah, no, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're open about that. I love it. I, I mean, you're an open book and I've always known that, but it's it's nice to be able to talk about touchy things with somebody. <laughs> I, okay. Something I have to ask you too, because I remember you saying in the last episode and I died laughing, but you described 
the way a bobsled feels. You said bobsledding feels like being kicked off a cliff in a trash can. <laughs> so does it still feel that way now or does it feel a little bit different? <laughs> Some runs still feel that way. <laughs> but most of the time, no, it doesn't feel that way. Now it just, it feels normal. I think um, that feeling of being kicked off a cliff in the trash can is like, <laughs> I would akin it to like if, this is a weird visual, but if someone were to blindfold you and drive you somewhere random, it would be weird, right? You'd feel like, oh, I don't know where that turn is. But if someone were to blindfold you and drive you the route you drive most, it wouldn't feel like that. And so now that I've been on all of these tracks that we use every single year, it just feels like, oh, that's what's supposed to happen. But that like kicked off a cliff in a trash can is that feeling of the unknown, like not knowing like, oh, was that tap normal or were you about to flip? You know, so <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I watched Breaking Bad. So, yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. OK, well, I would love to know if you have any like upcoming Winter Games previews, um, anybody we need to be watching for. I know I definitely want to hear about bobsled specifically, but if you have any other insights onto the winter sports, I'm a summer gal, so I I love learning about these new crazy cold sports that I'm not familiar with. So my first love of sport was figure skating. So I'm really excited for the figure skating newcomers. Um, on the men's side, Jason Bates is a good friend of mine and he's made the team. So I'm really excited to see what he does. Obviously, Nathan Chen is you know a good friend of mine too. I don't know the women's side, but I know there's a lot of first timers. So I'm really excited about that. Evan Bates and Madison Chalk, ice dancing, they're good friends on, so I'm excited to watch them. Obviously, bobsled skeleton. On the skeleton side, uh, my friend Kelly Curtis is a newcomer, and Andrew Blazer, they're both first-timers on the skeleton side. So I'm always excited for people to go to their first Olympics. My first and only Olympics was a dream, and I know a lot of people, some people actually don't have that experience their first time. And so I've hopefully tried to impart on people, like just take it all in and find ways to be excited, win, lose, or draw. Like don't let how you compete and finish the end all be all about how you feel. On the lose side, I'm really excited to watch Emily Sweeney and, and Summer Britcher and Chris Mazder compete and Tucker West. Those are all my friends from Lake Placid. And there's some newcomers on that side as well. Obviously I'm cheering for Alana, you know, because I've just so appreciated her role in my growth, uh, specifically and most importantly, her son, Nico. Yes. You're like Auntie Lauren, aren't you? <laughs> he is my emotional support baby. So <laughs> I miss him the most. I think that's the toughest thing for me about not being in Beijing is like not being with Nico. <laughs> Well, that so she was able to bring him because I know like with with the Tokyo games, the moms had to fight to get their babies in there because of all the quarantining stuff. Um, yes, she's big... she's still breastfeeding. So but so they were OK with every like there wasn't any hassles this time. Good. Oh, I mean, it was a lot of work and coordination. But like that is what Alana does best is she's strategic and overcomes adversity. So it definitely wasn't easy. But, you know, there's a lot of paperwork and logistics. But man, talk about. Alana and Nick, a couple that get stuff done. And like the last four years, they had a child with special needs. Alana was obviously pregnant and came back and Nick became a chiropractor. So it's not like they haven't been busy. <laughs> pretty amazing. Well, hopefully you can keep her in one piece. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, exciting. Well, uh, yeah. And it kicks off on what I think the opening ceremony is what 
Is it February 3rd? February 3rd. Is that Thursday? Yeah. That's Thursday, right? Thursday. Yeah. All right. Well, very cool. Well, we're excited. Well, tell us a little bit more because you have pivoted and shifted again. And so what is this new role? You just moved also. So kind of tell us about all the things that are happening now. Yeah, I have a new house. I have a car for the first time in eight years. I just accepted the role as VP of partnerships at this incredible company called Heroic. Our mission is to have 51% of the world flourishing by 2051. It is an app that will be launched April 9th. And the program is designed to help you be the best version of yourself. You know, how to take something from ideation to practice to mastery through, you know, just completing daily virtues or activities. And I am so aligned with that thinking because that's how you get to the Olympics, right? That's how you become elite at anything is that you have a goal in mind and you work towards that daily. And it really focuses on the small wins and the daily activity and then having this great support system. And so I think it's something that everybody would benefit from. And I'm excited to help change the world with Heroic. That sounds awesome. How do we learn more about it? So you can go to heroic.us. And actually, I think the membership is usually $70 for the year, which is pretty affordable. But if you join before the app launches on April 9th, you get half off. So first year would be $35. Yeah. And it's just, it's super exciting to be working with an organization that is really focused on personal growth and helping people along in their own, wherever they are in their own journey. Because I've always said, everybody can have their own Olympic moment. And I think that utilizing Heroic can help get people there. So it sounds awful. So, so anybody can, can take part in that app and use it for whatever they're doing. Yep. Very cool. That sounds right up my alley. I'm going to go check right? and get off the call. That's very cool. Awesome. Well, how can we um, keep up with you? Have you come speak? Like, how can we uh, stay in touch with Lauren Gibbs? Yeah. So you can still follow me on Instagram. I check my DMs, my message requests often. So LA Gibbs 84. I'm also on TikTok, but I don't really understand the tick of the top. But... <laughs> I'm a little scared of TikTok. <laughs> I know. it's, it's uh, I'm too old for it, but it's fun. And then also on LinkedIn, you can always find me on LinkedIn as well. I love speaking to different groups and sharing my journey and, you know, the things that I always say, things I learned in the back of a bobsled and hopefully motivating people to understand that whatever it is they want to do, they can do with the right strategy effort and just support system. So I am here to help people unlock the best version of themselves for sure. You definitely do. And if you guys don't follow her um, on Instagram, I highly encourage you to because it just it brings a smile to my face every day. And she's real. She's authentic and vulnerable. She says all the things and just, yeah, makes me feel like I can go out and be amazing and definitely hire her for a speaking event as well because she will empower any group that you have. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on again with us. We love you. We're cheering you on in this next chapter. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. and. I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guests. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.